Hey there, this is Nathan. Welcome to the Camden Haven Anglican Church Podcast. I'm glad you're making the time to listen to this week's teaching. I'll have more to say at the end, but for now, let's dive right in. G'day. <laughs> uh, my name's Travis. I haven't met you before, and it's great to be here uh, thinking about this question. Uh, is God good for my carbon footprint? I thought I was going to catch my breath uh, for a sec. That's all right. Uh, it's been wonderful the last couple of days for my, my family and I to go down to Diamond Head and enjoy what's down there. Who's been to Diamond Head here before? Yeah, well, there's a whole bunch that still need to get down there. It is amazing. It is so beautiful. Uh, there's all these rock formations. There's the, the, the wildlife there is phenomenal. Just these little noisy miners and finches and that flying around enjoying uh, the plant life down there. Uh, the stars at night, um, Cameron never really does justice, does it, uh, to the vastness of the sky when you see it. It's just amazing. And then you've got things like the sunrise. This was the sunrise yesterday morning. I think, man, that is just spectacular, amazing. And then you get the sunset as well. Um, this is cruising down the beach with, with the crazy crew. And um, such a beautiful, beautiful place to be. Now, there's something actually behind us there, not the sunrise. Between the sunrise and my family is... Well, there's the beach, with, but there's all these marks on there. Can you notice those? There's these tie marks. And there's actually, you can't quite get the detail there, but there is literally hundreds and hundreds of footprints along that beach. Some of them are small, some of them are big. Sometimes it looks like there's one person. Sometimes it looks like there was a couple. Sometimes a whole mob walking down the beach there. Um, they actually wreck and mark and distort the natural landscape of the beach. All these footprints, not just a little bit of them, but the... Hundreds of metres, there's these footprints wrecking the natural order um, of the sand there. But you know what I've never, ever seen when I've gone to a beach? Not, not at Diamond Head, not, not in town here at North Haven, not anywhere around the coast of Australia that I've seen. I wonder if you've ever seen, have you ever seen a sign that said, please don't walk on the sand and make footprints? Have, have you, anyone? No, why, why is it that when we mark something like the sand and distort what it was like naturally, we don't care about that. Well, it's because the tide just comes in and washes it away, doesn't it? It's like we're never there. It just resets everything. It'll be gone. That's why we aren't worried about things like sand footprints. Uh, but there is this other footprint that people are worried about, isn't it? There's been protests all around the world uh, seeming to grow in fervour, particularly amongst the younger generation about, well, not sand prints, uh, sand footprints, but a carbon footprint. People seem worried about our fart carbon footprint. Um, and why? Why would people be worried about that? Well, for those of you thinking, what is the carbon footprint anyway? I hear it being thrown around, but what's to go with that? In shorthand, or basically in slang, it means do you care about the environment? Um, if you care about a small carbon footprint or a light one, it means that you want to tread softly. You don't want to have too much carbon produced. You you care for the environment. If you don't care about your carbon footprint or you think it should be large, well, you seem to not care about the environment. Carbon footprint's kind of that little phrase which talks about what's your response to the environment. For those who want to be something a bit more technical, it's, a, it's an environmental indicator that it represents the amount of greenhouse gases expressed as CO2 equivalents that are emitted directly or indirectly as a result of a specific activity, not limited to eating kidney beans. What Yeah, anyway, um, basically, as humans, we do stuff. And as we do stuff, it has an outcome, not just eating kidney beans. Like when we, 
when we drive, we emit fumes, and that's got carbon dioxide in it, plus other things, these other gases. As we, the food we eat has to come from somewhere, has to be produced somehow, and then we'll go out somehow, and all that trail produces carbon to some degree. There's a footprint of that. And what people are starting to realise is as, as the Earth's population grows, these footprints from us are growing. And what does that actually do to the environment? Because well, like the tide that comes in and can wash away our footprint in the sand, well, the environment can absorb a fair amount of carbon. It's a, it's a good thing depending on what it is. And that cycle there works together. But as we do more stuff and do it unwisely or uncaringly, that footprint gets bigger and gets heavier. So what you do affects your carbon footprint. Now, I'm not gonna give any kind of firm position here because I'm not all over the science and the research on this. And I know it can be a polarizing topic, people debating what's actually going on. But at the end of the day, we just wanna think about this issue. Is God good for your carbon footprint? Or does being a Christian shape the way we think about the environment? Because it's a topic that matters to many people and I think it actually matters to God. So it matters to many people. So when they did a study in the UK, 74% of adults said they're quite concerned about climate change. And even in America, who are traditionally fairly conservative when it comes to these kind of topics, 59% they would love to see um, their carbon footprint neutral. And when you hear that language of neutrality or carbon footprint being neutral, it's not that we don't do anything, we just walk around treading softly in, in knickers and under a tree and just eat bugs and stuff. That's not carbon neutrality. It's about the fact that whatever we put out, the planet can cope with. We try and equalise things so there's a, a relationship where things work well between us and the environment that we live in. So when it comes to the environment, wherever we stand, it's worthy considering that question. Does knowing God shape the way or shape our concern for creation? Does it or should it? Do we just pillage and plunder? Because if we're a Christian, we know it's all going to be put right, so let's just go for it and God will sort it out later. Is that, is that our attitude? What should it be like? Well, there's three points I'd like us to consider as we think about this question. Is God good for your carbon footprint or should we care about the environment? It's these three. Thinking about our footprint of stewardship, our footprint of worship and our footprint of mission. So as we think about the footprint of stewardship, see right at the start of the Bible, if you were to crack open your Bible and go to Genesis 1, the reader is engaged with this rich and beautiful declaration of what the world is and who it's made by. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and then it rolls through the days of creation and God said his word is powerful and when he finishes a day, it is declared good. Another day, it is good. Another day, it is good. Another day, it is good. So the world is not just some random abyss, some, some rock floating through the universe that just kind of happened to appear without any rhyme or reason. It's just not stuff, as materialism would have us believe that. It's just stuff and that's all there is. And because it's just stuff, we're just stuff. Well, we're pretty stuffed because there's nothing we can do about it. It's just what we are. And... We've got to make up purpose and meaning in life and what we do, well, this is our only hope. Well, that's not the way the Bible presents the world. It's not just random events with no purpose. Nor is the earth, the physical world, a bad thing, as if we're just spiritual beings who are floating around and trapped here on earth until we're finally freed, until we realise our ultimate reality in the earth is done away with because the physical is bad and the spiritual is good, this kind of weird dualism, this kind of 
like ancient Gnosticism kind of stuff that goes on. Kind of, you see little vibes of this in the New Age movement. Well, that's not how the Bible speaks of the created world. It is good. Nor is the earth understood to be some form of deity. Something is worthy of worship in and of itself, or something that gives life in and of itself, and that it should be worshipped and cared for like Mother Earth. It's not the way the Bible speaks about the created order. God made it, he created it. He's not in it. I don't believe in pantheism where God is in everything. He sustains everything. He made everything. As you read Genesis 1, everything is made through his powerful word and it is good. Yet as he comes to the sixth day, he gives humanity a very unique and special role as part of that creation. In Genesis 1.27 we read, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This entrance of humanity onto the earth stage is like the rest of creation. It is good. God gives humanity a wonderful and beautiful role of stewardship to rule over, to have dominion over the earth as, God, as God's stewards of this place. See, people being here are not an accident. I know, who likes the far side? Anyone love the far side? I love Gary. Go Google it. You're going to cack yourself all afternoon. He's hilarious. But I remember reading this, seeing this one years ago, this comic. Like, humans aren't like God made the world and said, it's good. And on day six, he dropped the human jar and went, oh, what are, they going to, what are we going to do with them? Now they're here. Oh, no. It was always God's plan and purpose to give humanity the role of being the stewards of his creation. But what does being his image bearers, ruling over, subduing the earth, really look like? See, our ruling is not an absolute right. It is a God-given responsibility to reflect his godly provision and care for the world that he has made. And we see it kind of fleshed out in Genesis 2.15, where it says, The Lord God took the man, he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. Work is good. Tending to the garden and the created order there is good. Humanity is to subdue and fill the earth, echoing that kind of pattern, care and concern. That's the kind of stewardship God has given to humanity to keep order, to be productive, to use the skill and wisdom he has given to us to care for it. So our ruling over is not a selfish rule. It's not about being a despot or a tyrant or a dictator. Ruling the world is about being a servant, serving God because it's his world and serving the world by keeping it and taking care of it. And we see this intended purpose all the way through Scripture. In Proverbs 12, 18, it says, 27, 18, sorry, it says, whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit. Did you hear the beautiful language coming through Psalm 104 there? God provides the rain that flows through the mountains, that waters the crops, that who enjoys them? We enjoy them. We enjoy the wine that the grapevine produces. The animals enjoy the, the fodder that's made for them. We care and subdue and rule over the earth as God provides the space for us to do that. So as we think about that question, is God good for our carbon footprint or should a Christian care about the environment? Right at the front of our thinking. 
our worldview of what the environment is and our place and our responsibility to it is this, that it's God's, that it's our Heavenly Father's place. He has made this. It is his. Do you see that language in Psalm 104? Speaking of God, the psalmist wrote, he waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes the grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate. In verse 16, the trees of the... They're not just trees, the psalmist would say. They're the trees of the Lord. They are well watered. The cedars of Lebanon that he planted. We see Jesus reminding his hearers of just who the created order belongs to when he speaks to them about not being worried. In Matthew 6.26, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow nor reap, nor store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. As we think about our view of the environment, it's important we first ask ourselves, do I really view it as my Father's good creation that I'm called responsible to care for? Is that the way you view it? When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? What was his response? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Do we love our Father in the way that we care for what belongs to him and he is entrusted to us? How is what we do or our posture towards the care of the environment a reflection of our stewardship and our love of him? I wonder if it might help to illustrate it a little bit. It was great going to Diamond Head um, and we actually entrusted our house to Dylan Chin. Some might be initially concerned about that, but we had confidence. Uh, we gave Dylan stewardship over our home. Not just our home, but the created order in our home. The chickens and the dogs. His role was to look after it while we were away. He was the steward of our place to keep it in order. How would he show his love to us as ones who had entrusted our place and our animals to his care. How would he show that? Well, in a simple way, the house was clean, barely a footprint around. The animals were fed and happy when we got back. They'd been cared for. He'd exercised dominion and rule over our home in a way which showed love for us and care for us and our stuff. I don't think just because it was his duty I think it was, am I right, because you cared? Thanks, man, good response. <laughs> don't, know, don't know what I was going to do if you went, no, I just want to get away from mum and dad. No, like, that's how he showed love. But what would we have felt like if we got home and he just walked mud through the floor that we'd just cleaned, left his dishes in the sink and thought, that bit of plaster, I'm going to punch some holes in it because I can. They're not here. It's my... And the dogs, when they got home, we found out they'd chewed the lounge because he hadn't fed them for days. Like, would we have felt loved and that he'd cared for our stuff if he had done that? No. He left it immaculate. It even had muffins in the oven cooking. Like, how good's that? So, like, there's a plug. If you want a good house here, Dylan knows. I'm not getting paid for this. We felt loved because he'd cared for what belonged to ours. And this caring for the created order because it belongs to our Father also is the fulfilment of that second commandment. Second half. The first is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And the second is to love your neighbour as yourself. When we think about our stewardship of the created order, 
Do you actually think through, do I think through, what does this mean for my children and their children? Others are thinking about this, are Christians? Is that not an ultimate expression of loving our neighbour, that the next generation will enjoy what we have enjoyed? How would you feel if it was flipped and the next generation cared for the environment like we care for it? Would you be encouraged and felt loved? Or would it be less than that? When we make decisions um, about stewardship, we do want to have a gentle, light footprint of God-like stewardship, cultivating, yes, and being productive, yet thoughtful and conscientious. We want to have a small as possible carbon footprint, or do we want to have a large and heavy one? So when we make decisions about how we consume things, have you and I ever really stopped and just thought through how these decisions reflect God's ownership and he's entrusting his creation to us. And I have to admit, I find it really easy to bag out initiative when it comes to environmental stuff. I hate paper straws. It's going to flag it. They just dissolve before I'm halfway through a drink. Drives me nuts. But you know what? I've never died from drinking a paper straw. It's, just, it's a great initiative when you really think about it. Sure, it needs a bit of work. But I... I haven't thrown out 50,000 plastic ones in the last few years that will lay there for how many thousands or hundreds of years. These ones have already come and gone. It's easy to bag out an issue, but to actually think, what is this doing? Where is it headed? Is this a good thing? Can it be improved upon? Possibly. More than likely. But it's a good initiative, a good way. Do I think through? Actually, I can walk. I don't have to drive. I don't need to burn fuel. It's just not necessary. Am I being lazy or thoughtful? Do I chuck on a jumper? rather than cranking the AC and tripling my energy consumption. Sure, my little house is not going to make a big dent when there's China and America and all the rest of the jazz. No, but you're not responsible for them. You are responsible for you. I am responsible for me. Do I make a compost bin rather than just throw it in the red bin so it just fills the land? Do I let it be bound down and chucked into the garden so the worms and the creatures that God has made can enjoy what he's got? Or are all our decisions made and based on less price is best. Easiest is best. Do I treat creatures even with a godly stewardship? Letting animals being animals so they can grow, enjoy the created order in the way they've been designed? Or am I happy with creatures shoved in little metal tins so they can make mass-produce eggs and meat so I can eat more for less and get fatter easier? Do I actually think through where my stuff comes from I don't know. Proverbs 12 would say, whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. The Bible speaks about this. Are we listening to it? Is it shaping our worldview of how we live as his people? So we're barely scratching the surface here. And where do you sit on these debates? And I don't have it covered. But it's just at least think, what is the posture of my heart to the environment and the impact we have upon it? How can we improve what we do? How do we have a lighter footprint at the end of the day anyway? So God's ownership and our related stewardship is good for our carbon footprint, which moves us to think about the second thing. These are a bit shorter, these points, but worth considering that flow out of our stewardship, and that is the footprint of worship. Kind of thinking about what's the footprint of worship. I want you to think about when you praise, when you're fully enjoying what God has made, it's something which lifts you. You know, you embrace your charismatic side and your hands go up and your toes go up and your toes are going to leave a bigger print on the ground. You have a big 
toe print of worship when you think about the created order. The world is a beautiful place and it is good to enjoy it. And the scriptures point to the fact that it's something which engages our hearts as God's people to enjoy him and what he has made and to give praise to God, worship to him, to glorify him because of who he is. To actually spend time enjoying what he's made, not worshipping what he's made. That is a horrendous evil and it cripples the human heart. We see this in Romans, Romans chapter 1 where Paul writes saying, For although they knew God speaking of humanity, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. We don't, we're not moved to worship the, the creature or the creation, but moved to worship the creator. When we worship the things, we distort ultimate reality and we deny who God is. That is a terrible evil. But to worship God is a beautiful thing. And as Christians, we've been privileged to know him, to be in relationship with him because of Jesus, and to give thanks of what he's made as a good and generous God. Psalm 19 would say, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They actually have no speech, nor they use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. It's wonderful, isn't it? As we reflect and meditate upon what God has made, the heart is stirred and moved to give praise to God. Did you pick that up at the end of Psalm 104? All that description of the created order of animals enjoying the mountains, the ravines, the holes, feeding, all of that. Let my meditation be pleasing to you, Father. I will sing praise to you. Let my life praise you because of what he has made. Our being is to be moved to worship as we care for what he has made. And because it is his, we want to make sure others have the opportunity to enjoy the beauty of God's creation. And stewardship is linked to worship so that others might know the beauty that we've enjoyed, that they might too be stirred to know who is the one who has made this place? Who is the one that would do that? As we spend time in creation, it corrects our posture, it fixes our vision. In Psalm 8, David would say, when I consider the moon and the stars that you've made, man, it is huge, it is big. Who am I that you'd care for me? That you'd think of me at all, God? It's a good thing to have our perspective changed, isn't it? How good to point people to the fact that, wow, my father made this. Yet he still cares for you, even though you are so small. When we spend time pondering the beauty of creation, we are moved to worship. These things are linked together, our stewardship and our worship. I wonder, maybe something you could just do today. Rather than flicking on the TV... Go outside, sit under your tree in your back garden, drive up the mountain, go down to the beach. Just spend an hour sitting still and observing what your father has made. Enjoy it and give thanks to him. If you can't do it today, 
Stick on your Audi and your, gum, your Ugg boots and go outside at night and look at the stars. The sky, the sky is so clear at the moment. It is magnificent. And if you can't get outside because of mobility, flick on the best National Geographic documentary you can find and just marvel at what God has made. Be stirred to worship on who your Father is. And as we think about being moved to worship, it moves us to that last point there, the footprint of mission. Don't we desire others to know our Father, the creator of the universe, the one who sent his Son so that all people may know him and worship our Father and know the forgiveness of their own sins? Because the world's greatest need is not that their carbon footprint be light, but the heavy footprint of sin be washed away completely. No tide will remove sin. No human effort will remove sin. Only one could move the big imprint of sin on this earth, and that is the Son of God who walked on earth and died and rose again to conquer and crush evil and to give the assurance of the resurrection and the hope of the new creation. Everyone needs him. Mission is our primary objective. But we have a responsibility to steward the earth, to be moved to worship, and to think about how others can be engaged with mission, knowing the one who has made this place. There is a whole sphere of the world, those in the green area, you might say. How many people are not engaged because we're so consumed with other things that we never speak to them? about the one who made the world, so many people that will worship creation or be consumed with the environment but yet don't know its maker. How many of us have friends that are involved in those earth-caring movements but we don't really engage because they're just caught up in the environment? How wonderful for them to know that it's not Mother Nature who made this but your Father who made it and he loves them and wants them to know him. How many of us are involved in caring for the environment that others might see? That Christians care because it's their fathers and knowing who it belongs to moves us to action in the world that we live in. There's a whole bunch of people who seem right on the fringe of Christian mission because they're consumed with the environment. It's like a good thing distorted, isn't it? It's good that people care for the environment. Yet do they know its maker? They can only know its maker through the sun. What about those who are grieved at the brokenness in the world and they grieve with no hope? As Christians, we have this wonderful hope that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, not only is sin removed and reconciliation made with God, but there is a certainty of a new creation where everything will be put right. So whilst we both might grieve at the ugliness of human greed and destruction... And it should grieve us. We don't grieve without hope and despair. We actually go, yes, that, that is ugly. Greed and destruction is terrible. Yet you know what? I'm certain it's going to be put right. Do you know the one who's going to be put, put right? Are you right with God? Do you know him? There's bridges and opportunity there for us to speak to our friends who are passionate about the environment. Let's link with them that they know, might know its maker the one who loves them. So as we walk along with our community, let's think about ways we connect with those who care for the environment. So our mission, footprint, is the one we want to get bigger. Carbon footprint, smaller, yes. 
mission footprint bigger, footprint of worship bigger, footprint of stewardship light but bigger. May these things be shaping our lives as God's people. Are they shaping yours? How is it shaping mine? Is God Green is a wonderful book if you want to keep thinking this through. A lot of the things I was thinking through are from this. It's a short book. It's written by an Aussie. So it's like 10 out of 10 already. Um, there's a little flyer at the back there if you want to know what it is. It's good for us to be thinking through this, isn't it? Is God good for our carbon footprint? I want to say, yes, he is. Who he is, who we are, should be shaping how we live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can know you as our maker and the good maker of all that we see and enjoy. Father, we give thanks that your word assures us that although we were once your enemies, you have called us to be your children because of your son, your son who holds all this beautiful creation together. Father, we pray that we will be moved to be growing better stewards of your world. Father, that our hearts would grow in worship of you. And Father, that we would be stirred to mission that all people would know the wonder of your son, the one who sustains this world. Father, continue to shape us as people in maturity, bearing the image of Jesus. Amen. Hi again, this is Nathan. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope that we shared something that's helpful to you wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. Just so you know a little more about us, we are Camden Haven Anglican Church. We're a church that tries not to be too churchy and more relational. We meet every Sunday. We have four services at two locations. If you want to connect with us, you can find more about us on our website, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or just send an email to info at havenanglican.com. If this teaching has blessed you, we'd love to hear from you wherever you are in the world. And we pray that we've helped you to grow a little more into Jesus today. See you next time.